I invite you, if you are able, to stand for the reading of God's Word. You can turn in your Bibles or you can look up on the screen as we read um, what Luke has shared with us in Acts chapter 11. Luke writes, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the Word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I say, but, but I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirits told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we call upon your name and just ask that you would bless this time as we look at what you have done in the past, as we look at your amazing work. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to see your truth, that we would rejoice in the work that you have done. Convict us of sin that is in our hearts, God, that we might honor you and follow you and serve you more and bring more glory to your name. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, Peter sees an amazing thing that happens. The Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius and his entire household, and he stays with them for several days um, because they invited him to. And then he comes back to Jerusalem, and we read in verse 1 that the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So word has spread. It isn't Peter that has reported this. Word is spreading throughout the entire church that the word of God has been received by the Gentiles. And again, we should think that they would rejoice. 
But then we see in verse 2 and verse 3 that they are pretty far from rejoicing. So when Peter comes back, you have this circumcision party that greets him and um, criticizes him. Now, this circumcision party isn't a political party within the church. Um, Most scholars believe that this circumcision party is just referencing a group of Jew, of Jewish Christians, so those who have been circumcised, but those who hold to the Jewish traditions, but also follow Jesus Christ, which was very common at this time. So at this time in our story, they aren't even called Christians yet. That doesn't even happen until the, the latter half of chapter 11. Um, so we'll learn about that next week. But here at this point in history, the Christians were Jews, and they went to worship at the temple. They went to worship at the synagogues, and they held to the Jewish traditions. And um, for those who have been coming to our church history class on Tuesdays, um, you will know that um, it wasn't until the year 120, thereabouts, that Christians and Jews finally broke ways because um, the Jews declared that um, one of their guys was the Messiah. And at that point, that was the final nail in the coffin, and they split ways. But here at this point, the, the Jewish believers in Jesus Christ were just another sect of Judaism. So within Judaism, you had um, different denominations. So you have, um, as we are common, you've got the, the Sadducee party, you've got the Pharisee party, you've got those that follow them, but you also have Hellenistic Jews, and you've got different groups of Jews, and the Jesus followers were just another group. Um, now, they might be an errant group, but they were still Jews that um, were circumcised. They um, kept the law of Moses. Um, they did everything that they were supposed to, and they lived in the ways that they were supposed to, only they followed Jesus Christ, and they believed that he was their hope of salvation. Uh, and so this group of um, circumcision party, as the ESV translates it, criticized Peter, not because he shared the gospel with Gentiles, but because he ate with uncircumcised men. Now, there was a belief at this time, and we can see it um, in the Gospels, um, then this was a constant criticism of Jesus Christ, that he was eating with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And so um, the criticism was that you are eating with um, a sinner. You are eating, in this case, you are eating with a Gentile, somebody who isn't even a Jew. They are outside the camp, and therefore you are are becoming contaminated with their impurity. And so the idea that um, Gentiles, they dealt with impure animals. They had impure practices, practices, ideas, behaviors. They lived a lifestyle that was contrary to the law. And so if you associated with them, if you ate food with them, you are now being contaminated. And we see this, uh, an example of this, in Jesus' ministry when he is healing the sick and the lame. He heals uh, a woman um, with a blood issue. um, He heals a leper. And the idea was that if you touched one of these people, that sin, that uncleanness would come upon you and you would now be unclean. But uh, And so these were condemning Peter for saying, you are turning your back on the law 
and you are now associating with those who are unclean, and so therefore becoming unclean yourself. How dare you? What in the world do you have to say for yourself, Peter? And so we see them interpreting the scriptures based on the cultural mandate at the time of the Jews to distance themselves and not associate with them lest they become unclean. And Peter himself was in that same position as well. As Peter begins to explain the vision that he had of the sheet being lowered down with all the unclean animals and the voice Um, which in the translation that I have is the red letter edition. It's got this voice in red. So the words of Christ, the words of God are saying, Peter, take and eat. And Peter's response is, no, 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 no. Nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. I am a good Jew. I hold to the law. I can't. And God's response was, what I call clean don't call common. Don't call unclean. If I've declared it clean, it is clean because I am God and I have said so. I've declared it thus. Took God three times <laughs> to convince Peter, which as we know, Peter in his whole history, he's got to repeat things. He's got to go through stuff over and over again before it finally sinks in. But in this case, it did sink in. And then men came Gentiles came asking for him. And then we see the Holy Spirit say in verse 12, um, uh, I just missed uh, verse 12. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. So God is giving Peter a message. And Peter is relaying this message to the church that is in Jerusalem, which is full of Jews. It is full of good Jews, good Jewish Christians who follow Jesus Christ but still holds to the law. And he is saying, hey, I hear your criticism. I was there with you too. I wasn't going to eat anything that was unclean. I wasn't going to associate with anything unclean. But God told me, don't make any distinction. And what I call clean, don't call unclean. Go with these men. Don't make distinction." Don't show partiality. Don't separate yourself from them. Go with them. And as is the case with Peter, he went. He was obedient at this point. Now, if you came to me and you said, hey, the Holy Spirit has told me to go and do something, I would ask a lot of questions. I would say, okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. We would look at the scriptures. Is what you say that the Holy Spirit's telling, telling you to do in line with the scriptures? Um, so my, when I chose to go to Senegal, um, I went with the IMB, and I had my heart set on going to the Amazon jungle. So there was, um, there was this one team. It was called Extreme Team Amazon. We wanted this team would go and trek for two weeks up and down the Amazon River until they got to a tribe. And then they would stay with that tribe for several months, sharing the gospel, and then come back. That's what I wanted to do. And when I was um, in the final stages of the application process, I went to a conference that was out in Richmond, Virginia, and um, met with 
um, the different regions and their leaders and representatives from the different regions. And I was like, I want to do extreme team. And I just felt completely unsettled about that. And I had a pamphlet um, in my welcome folder that said, um, Project Delta Change Agent in Senegal, West Africa. And I was like, I have no desire to go to Africa. That's not where I want to go. I'm not going to go to Africa. The entire time, though, it was as if God was saying, go talk to the West Africa people. Go talk to them. Go talk to them. Like, no, I have no desire to go to West Africa. I have no desire to go to Africa at all. I want to go to, okay, well, if not Extreme Team Amazon, maybe this other job in the Amazon. Maybe I can go, um, maybe I can go back to Spain. Uh, my parents were missionaries in Spain, so maybe I could go back to Spain. There was nothing that was there. And they had, they had some jobs, but I just felt completely unsettled the entire time. So finally, I was at the end of my rope. The, the time was running down. I had to start making selections and writing my choices down. So I went and talked to the West Africa people. And uh, I will never forget, Lucy Driggers, um, she knew my parents really well. And she said, Aaron, what can I talk to you about? And I said, tell me about this Project Delta change agent thing. And she said, oh, she jumped up took my hand, we went to this big, massive map of, on the wall. Um, it was probably as big as that blue wall is that we have our little tiny missions map of the world um, on that wall. But this map was monstrous. And she said, you'd be here in Senegal. And as soon as she said that, she felt this peace settle over me. And it was as if God was saying, that's where you need to go. That's where I wanted you to go. And Peter here is saying, the Holy Spirit told me, to go with these men and make no distinction. And I can completely understand because I get weird looks from people when I tell that story of like, really? The God told you that? You heard the Holy Spirit say these things? This was God? And I completely understand. I completely understand that. I can't say that God spoke to me with an audible voice in that, but there was definitely a movement of the Holy Spirit um, guiding me on where he wanted me to go for my two-year missionary term with the IMB. But here, God is clearly speaking to Peter, and God is audibly speaking to him. The Holy Spirit is audibly speaking to him. And we see this happen in Peter's life previously. So this isn't the first time this has happened. This has happened over and over again. And the church recognizes this, as we see in their response at the end. But God is moving, and God is doing something, and God is breaking down the walls that exist in the Jewish Christian church at this time. And God is orchestrating things, because when Peter gets to Caesarea and he talks to Cornelius, he then relates to the Jewish church Cornelius' experience, and how an angel came and told him and said, go to Joppa, and find this man named Simon, who's also called Peter, and he will come and tell you how you can be saved, you and your whole household. So putting all of these different events together, it is very clear that God is at work and God is moving. So yeah, the Jewish church, they have their position, they have their ideas, they have what they believe, and this is what it means. And so God is breaking all of that down. Their anger oh, at Peter, again, wasn't that he shared the gospel with them. It's that he ate with uncircumcised men. That 
they came to faith in Christ is great, but then Peter left them there. In the Jewish, um, in the Jewish religion, in Judaism, God in the law made a way for people to become Jews. It wasn't just a matter of converting to Judaism. It was, you will become a Jew at this point. Circumcision was one of those things that they had to do. And so for, for the men, you become circumcised, you um, perform these sacrifices, you do these rituals, and then you become a Jew. That is your identity. Your nationality before, who you were before, is wiped away. You are now a Jew. And for the Jewish Christians, salvation was through Judaism. It was through being a Jew because Christ was a Jew. He came and fulfilled the law of Moses. And so therefore, it is through Judaism. And that these Gentiles did not convert to Judaism. They were not circumcised. That is what was making them angry. That was what was making them upset. How in the world could you eat with these people and share the gospel with them, and betray everything. You should have had them circumcised. You should have had them convert to Judaism. And we see this idea over and over again throughout the entire New Testament. In Acts 15, we're going to see this happen again. You've got this circumcision party that rises up and says, no, Gentiles must be circumcised. We see this. Paul has an entire letter the letter of Galatians, to the church there saying, how can you abandon the gospel of Jesus Christ and walk away and go back to the law? You are saved by grace through faith alone, and it is not from circumcision. So whether you are circumcised or not, it doesn't matter because everything is completed in Christ. There's a whole letter that Paul has to write because there is a church that is being influenced by these Judaizers, by this circumcision party, these people who say, no, 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 yes, believe in Jesus Christ, but get circumcised, maintain these laws, hold on to these things. And God is breaking all of that down here. And so as Peter comes and he hears all of this, and the church at this point in time is hearing this, their attitudes start to shift. Peter goes on to say that um, as he started to speak, he saw the Holy Spirit come down upon them. The Holy Spirit fell on them as on us in the beginning. So Denton has already preached on this, that this is the Gentile Pentecost here. So, but this Pentecost is happening in the exact same way that it happened in the very beginning in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came on them. Later on, between Acts 2 and Acts chapter 10, we see other people coming to faith in Christ. We see the Samaritans coming to faith in Christ, and we see the Holy Spirit falling upon specific groups as well. But we see the Holy Spirit falling upon these groups when someone lays their hands upon them, and then the Holy Spirit falls upon them. In this occurrence, it is happening exactly like it did in the upper room. No one laid their hands on these Gentiles. Peter starts to talk, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They believe the word that Peter is preaching, and God pours out his Spirit upon them. No laying on of, no laying on of hands. It happens exactly the same. And Peter's response to this 
he says in verse 16, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said those words, it was just his disciples that were gathered around him. And um, so, and it was just Jews. So you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you, you group here, you Jews, that was kind of the idea. But Peter realizes as he's seeing the Holy Spirit fall on them, as they're speaking in tongues, and they're doing the exact same things that the disciples did at the very beginning in Acts 2, he realizes when Jesus says you, he means you, but not just you Jews, but you, everyone, everyone who believes, everyone who follows me, everyone who repents, regardless of nationality, regardless of your past, regardless of where you come from, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you. And he realizes what Christ was getting at which for us on this end, it seems common sense. So if you go to our website on our missions page, we've got a PDF document there. It's 14 pages long, but it outlines all the scriptures, maybe not all the scriptures, but almost all the scriptures uh, of God's heart for the nations. 14 pages front and back of scripture after scripture after scripture um, throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament that outlines God's intention has always been from the beginning for salvation to be poured out on the entire world, not just on the Jewish nation, not just on those who convert to, to Judaism, but on everybody over and over and over again. Jesus's ministry pointed to that. We see the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the, and to the, ends of the earth. Not once in Jesus' teaching did he say, in order to be saved, you have to be circumcised. Not once did he say that, but there was this mentality that was there. And Peter is remembering Christ's words. Oh yeah, that's what he meant when he said those things. Salvation is for all peoples everywhere. And then he concludes his argument. Um, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? In other words, I was a good Jew. I believed in these things. And I upheld these things. But God started moving in a different direction. Who was I to move against God? Who was I to stand against God? And that silences his critics. That makes them fall silent. And then their response is to praise God and say, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So when we read this passage, it can be very easy to read through it and say, these are all the events that happened, great, and we can move on. And if we do that, we're going to miss a couple of things here. First, this should drive us who are Gentiles, this should drive us to worship God all the more. 
that God shows no partiality, God shows no distinction, that God says you don't have to convert and change and submit and conform to this set of laws and this set of rules. You need to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And I will save you because Christ completed all of that. The entire law finds its fulfillment in Christ. You can't be righteous by keeping the law. We see that over and over and over again. We just sung about that this morning, that we can make whatever list we want. We can compare ourselves to other people. We can check off all the good things that we do, but it won't ever be enough. If we were to keep the law, we would die by the law, never being saved because there is no salvation in the law because we can't keep the law fully. We will sin, we will fall short, and what hope do we have? Well, Christ came and he upheld the law fully. And in him, we have his righteousness. So we don't have to be circumcised. We don't have to convert to this way of thinking. And that should bring us great rejoicing. So when we think about our salvation, we should rejoice at what God has done for us. That should be our initial response. We should, with the church, say, praise God. Thank you, God, for bringing repentance that leads to life to us. Thank you so much for that. That should be our first response as we remember what God has done for us, this amazing work that God has done. The second thing we need to keep in mind is we need to read this and this circumcision party and their initial response, we need to see that as a warning for us. As Peter says, who am I that I could stand in God's way? Do we not bring things up and elevate them to the point of the gospel? We see this in the New Testament. If you look at 1 Corinthians, the church is completely divided uh, in, in Corinth. The church there, they've got different factions that are rising up saying, I'm better than you are and I'm better than you are. I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. I've got you all beat. I follow Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so we've got this division that's coming in in the church. And then we see, as you keep reading Corinthians, the divisions keep getting worse and worse and worse, and they are divided. They're divided over the Lord's Supper. They're divided over praying in church. They're divided over so many different things over and over again. This is a church that has elevated different things above the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then we see in Galatians, as I've already mentioned, this church is completely abandoning it to the point where uh, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. We have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is saying those who come and say, yes, you need Jesus, but... Or you need Jesus plus. Paul is saying, let them be accursed because that is not the gospel. The gospel is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. All our hope is in the completed work of Christ and Christ alone, not in anything that we can do, not that anything that we have done, but all that Christ has done. So Paul says, if anybody comes to you and says, any differently, let him be accursed. And that is really, really strong language. But we see that all throughout American Christianity. That plagues the American church left and right. We see people rise up and election season is coming. And I hate election season. I hate politics with a passion because Uh, It is so divisive. You see people that will say, you can't be a Christian if you vote Democrat. And then you'll see people who say, you can't be a Christian uh, if you vote Republican. You've got both sides saying that you can't be a Christian unless, or how can you be a Christian and vote for this person or that person? So where do we see that in the gospel? Where do we see that in the scriptures? So when we make statements like that, what we are effectively saying is you need Jesus and you need this political view. And I will confess that was me for a long time. I had no idea how anybody, in fact, I thought all Christians voted Republican for a long time. That's what I thought. And it was a rude awakening when I found out that there were Christians who voted Democrat. And I was shocked and I was appalled and I had to wrestle through those things. I also had a time when I thought Christians shouldn't drink, period. Drinking is wrong. It's not a sin, but it's wrong. So you shouldn't drink as Christians. And I was elevating that to the standard of the gospel. That was plagued in my life, in my conversations, when I talked to people as well. I might not say it to somebody's face, but believe me, I was judging them. I was judging them really hard. How can you drink? How can you vote Democrat? How can you be like that? I was doing exactly what the the circumcision party was doing here to Peter. How could you eat with uncircumcised men, Peter? What is wrong with you? But then we see this circumcision party going on and on and turning people away and turning churches away saying, no, you must be. And in fact, um, later on, we're going to see Peter falls to this as well. Peter in Antioch stops associating with Gentiles and only starts eating with Jews because there's a group of Judaizers Judaizers who come in. Here, Peter's saying there is no distinction. What God calls clean, I can't call unclean. How can I stand in God's way? But then he reverts back into that position again of where he was before because he was influenced by people who held these views that are contrary to Scripture. So when we read this passage, we've got to be on guard 
on our own hearts. We can't read this and say, gosh, those, those people, they didn't understand the gospel. Because that could just as easily be us. For me, that was me. I was there. I did elevate so many things to the level of the gospel that you need Jesus plus this. You have to have Jesus and live in this way and believe this way and walk this way. Another confession, for a long time, I, I grew up Southern Baptist, was raised Southern Baptist. Dad was a Southern Baptist preacher. We were Southern Baptist missionaries. And so while I believe that they were Christians in other denominations, I believe that the Southern Baptists were the right ones and everybody else were the wrong ones. No one ever said that. No one ever taught that. But that was kind of a prevalent idea is we've got it right, they've got it wrong. And so to the point where I wouldn't read other people or it would make me uncomfortable reading a Presbyterian author or um, a, a, a non-denominational author of some kind. And so that was something that I had to grow past because I was elevating, in this case, circumcision up until that point of you've got to believe what I believe. You've got to be like me. You've got to practice this and walk this way and talk this way and be this way. And that is adding to the gospel. We've got to be on guard against that. We have to first know the scriptures. We have to know what the Bible says so that when we see people acting contrary to what we think, we then take that back to the scriptures and say, God, what does your word say? And I don't mean flip through to try to find the one verse or the half a verse um, that might be a proof text for your position to say, ah, see, look, here are two words that support my position. No, that's not what I'm saying. We search the scriptures. We read the scriptures. We know the scriptures. We understand the scriptures so that when we are confronted, we can either say, no, this is what the Bible says. That viewpoint and that position is wrong. Or we can say, wow, this is what the Bible says. I've been wrong in my thinking this whole time. Wow, God, forgive me. God, forgive me for elevating um, non-drinking to the level of the gospel. Forgive me for elevating um, holding to this political view. Forgive me for elevating Southern Baptist belief and doctrine to this, to this level, the same level as the gospel. I had to repent of that. So we've got to be on guard. We have to protect and see what God is doing. Yes, there are, I am, we are a Southern Baptist church. I'm a Southern Baptist church because I, and looking at a lot of different denominations and other things, I agree with um, being a congregational church. I believe in what the Southern Baptists do with the cooperative program where you've got 43, 46,000 plus churches that give to missions to support missionaries, to send missionaries. I believe that that is great, but that doesn't mean that Presbyterians, that non-denominationalists, that this denomination or that denomination are not Christian as well, or aren't they, well, they don't have it all right. It just means that on secondary things and tertiary things and whatever is below tertiary, if we're using that language, um, quadruciary, um, but whatever is lower than that, we don't elevate it to the primary stance, which is the gospel. It is, we are all sinners. We all need Jesus Christ. We can't get to heaven on our own. We stand condemned because of our sin. 
Christ died on the cross for our sin. He suffered the death that we deserve, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. So in Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins. God looks at us and says, you who were unclean are now clean. Not because of anything that you have done, but because everything I did in my son. That is the gospel. And the gospel needs to stay the gospel. And so we, when we read this passage, we need to be on guard that we don't elevate things to the level of the gospel. We can have disagreements. You can like this political candidate, and I can like that political candidate, and that's fine. We can disagree on those things, but that is not the gospel. We can still fellowship together. We can still worship together. We can still do ministry together. We can still do evangelism together, and we can gather here on Sunday and worship God together. We can have difference of opinions that um, I believe in a congregational church, but you might hold to um, a pastor led church where the elders make all the decisions or where there is a head pastor and other pastors below them. We can disagree on those matters and that's fine, but we can still worship together and we can still do ministry together and we can still praise God together and not condemn each other. And that is what God is calling us to. That is what God is doing with the Jewish church here is he is breaking down the walls and saying the gospel is is for everybody. The church, my church, my family, my kingdom is for everyone. Not just this one select group, but for everyone, whether they look like you, smell like you, act like you, or not. The gospel goes out and calls people where they are to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and follow him and not follow a tradition. So I want to challenge us look at our hearts, analyze our hearts, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes. Is there anything inside of us that we need to repent of? Is there anything inside of us that we have elevated to the same level as the gospel? And if so, we need to repent of that. And as we go on week after week, year after year, let's hold each other accountable to making the gospel the gospel and everything else, everything else. So, Let's not let each other elevate things to the point of the gospel that shouldn't be elevated there. So analyze our hearts, repent of any sin that's there, and hold each other accountable that we would be a church that is faithful to the word of God and not faithful to the word of man. Let's pray.